You make the rules! Experience unlimited firepower, super jumps, start on any level, have infinite lives, you're the boss now! Yo, video game dudes, Game Genie gives you the power to make your own rules and play your own way. Use Game Genie's power codes on over 290 of the most popular games for Nintendo Entertainment System, Super Mario Bros. 3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, Mega Man 3, Crystallis, and Battletoads, and new games coming out all the time! And remember, real video dudes don't follow the rules, they make them! Game Genie, Video Game Enhancer by Galoob. Galoob TM Welcome to your listener to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. I'm a random girl in a better world. Life in plastic. It's fantastic. Random banter time, buddy! Talk to me, tell me tantalizing tidbits of trivia. Tantalize me. Tr uh, some things. Just tell me stuff. Talk to me. Well, I'm going to first start off by saying that I love that song by Aqua, and mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to admit it, mm -hmm. even though it is absolute trash, but it's Euro <laughs> trash, and I'm all down for that. That all being said, uh, yeah, I know what that's from. That's 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 easy. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a Barbie girl. That's fine. And why did you say it? Because they are surrounded by plastic people. There are plastic people everywhere, and we are going to get to that. Get yep. to that. <laughs> I know. Somebody fixes their hair and dresses them up however he wants. Yes. There yes. You this go. is this is very true. This is very true. A little creepy, but true. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get it to, in one. You got and it. We're going to get totally to that get too. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I'm I'm doing fairly well. I had a pretty good weekend this last weekend. I decided to get into that big old stack of books that's behind my bed and and actually read a book, not just a comic book, but an nice. actual book. So I sat down and read The Incomplete Guide to Running by Peter Sagal. He's the host of NBR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, I was at a live taping of Livewire, a show that features Luke Burbank, who's also on there, but that show's done in Portland. I was there with my wife and my sister-in-law to promote her book. And my wife and I got to go backstage with my sister-in-law, which was really cool. So we're backstage. And I got to meet Luke Burbank and got to talk to him for a little bit. But as we're back there, Peter Sagal walked in. He was going to be a guest that night, too. And I ended up sitting down, having a beer with him and talking to him. And I told him about this show. <laughs> and after the show, I went and got a book from him, bought it, and he signed in it. He said, I hope you do well with your strange little podcast. And... <laughs> 
I find that very charming. But I read yeah. his book. It's a very good book. I highly recommend it. It's kind of a his view on he's he's a amateur runner. Used to be kind of a professional amateur runner. Runner, if you get that. But he's done a lot of marathons, and he kind of talks about a few of his marathons, his kind of life lessons he's learned, how it all kind of fits in with a bad year of his life when he was going through a divorce, and and just kind of his view of running and some just general advice on life and running. I really enjoyed reading it. It was kind of a nice way to spend some free moments during my weekend going through and reading a book that I've been sitting on for a couple of years. <laughs> no, that's nice. That's I remember uh, when you, you when you met him and you were telling us about that. I thought that was really kind of cool. But the fact you actually have read the book now, congrats. That's good. I love reading books. Getting a chance to sit with a book is uh, one of the many joys in my life. So, cool. I'm glad you got to crack a spine on a book for a while. It was quite enjoyable. What about you? How did you enjoy some of the sunny weather and enjoyable time in our fair little city? Uh, I celebrated our fair little city by spending time away from it. Really? Yes. In celebration of me and Hillary having our second dose and being past the two-week mark, we said, you know what? We love traveling. We love vacations. We were going to go somewhere. We need to get away from our excessive lives. We we did a trip. We just did. We went out to the coast. Mm-hmm. We, got a, we got a best Western room for a couple of days, masked up in the hallways to get to places and everything. But it was just really nice to get away. So it was, you know, me, Hillary, and Aurora, our daughter, getting out to the coast, playing in the sand, making sand castles, looking at the sunset, eating food, eating more food, getting some food, <laughs> eating. Hillary took naps. We'd play in the sand. You know, it was, it was pretty basic. And then because Cannon Beach is only seven miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we go over that. We could go over there too. So it's like, okay, we've got a favorite place, you know, over by the like the beach house that we would get for our bonfires and stuff, and walk the beach there. Yeah, it was just really nice. But we also discovered Seaside has actually some good food places. We found an yeah. Italian restaurant that's like, man, Noni's is the bomb. This is great. And then we found a really good, you know, cheap, you know, fried tuna, you know, fish and chips place called uh, Grizzly Tuna, where it's like. Wow, they make really good stuff. It's also it's like it's like you're driving up to a coffee shop. You yeah, know, the little kind of like oh yeah, little 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 tiny structure building that you can in somebody's parking lot, and you can go through there. Drive up. Their menu is fish tacos, fish and chips, large, small, and then some uh, drinks. So you give them money, and they go thank you. And then yeah. by the time you count to twenty, you have your order and you leave because they have such a limited menu. It is awesome. But yeah, so we went out to the beach and played in the sand and played in the sun and <laughs> nice. just just enjoyed ourselves and got away for a couple of days. And that was really needed. It was really great. That's good for you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So like we've got ourselves rested. We've got ourselves in a good mind space now, which means we can enjoy this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been waiting for this book for a while now. And we are we, we and our listeners are all going to enjoy this. I really think we are. Yeah. I, I, here, to be honest, I don't remember if I own this book or not, or if I've read it before or not, because <laughs> I got a new copy that Rick dropped off. I'm looking at it and I'm like, that seems very familiar. And nothing else does. <laughs> like, did I see a picture of it on the internet? Did somebody tell me about it? I have no clue. So I was excited to get into this one. Excellent. Well, it's, before we can get into it, you got to tell us what happened last episode because that's going to really inform exactly where we're at now. 
It's not. <laughs> It'll vaguely tie in in the loosest of ways, and we'll talk about that in the future, too. But for the two-sentence recap, a horse, a mad scientist, and a pervert walk into a bar. And no, this isn't a setup for a joke, but it more or less describes a scene out of the 1991 Marvel Superheroes Summer Special featuring Power Pack in a beautiful Caribbean setting ostensibly to find a non-chameleon psychologist good enough to find a cure for their mother who got some brain damage from a friendly chameleon that messed with her mind. And while mom is off screen, why not spend some time with some sexy supermodel scientists, some sexy supermodel beachgoers, some sexy supermodel aliens, some sexy supermodel waitresses, and some sexy supermodel... Um, that's actually all the sexy supermodels I can think of, but the important one is the sexy supermodel aliens because they forgot to collect their last batch of eggs from the ocean the last two times that they were here and now have to rescue those eggs from the sexy supermodel scientists so that they can blast off back into obscurity in their weird fish, seven-layer cake monstrosity of a spaceship. Now that the... Yes... This was also a backdoor Fantastic Four comic featuring two throwaway aliens from three of their past issues. Two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, I have tried my best always to give you a beer that somehow will tie into this issue, and I think I've done it. I think I've done it. If you wouldn't mind reaching into that little brown paper bag... And telling me what you got. I have. Do-do-do. It's a can, so it's a 12-ouncer. It is Boneyard Beer Cloudburst Brewing. And it is <laughs> Loose Ends PL. <laughs> oh, IPL. IPL. Okay. Loose Ends IPL. Uh, <laughs> loose ends. What do you do with loose ends? You tie them up. You, you tie, tie them up. And that's what June and Weezy are doing. This book that we're reading ties up a whole bunch of loose ends that were left out there and tears apart the knot that this yep. series has been left in and ties it up into a very nice little bow, if I do say so myself. So yeah. I thought this was a very apropos can. Yeah, it has a space theme going on it as well, which is uh, honestly very disturbing because it's an astronaut whose tether has come undone. And now is this astronaut <laughs> is at very loose ends as they fly through the eternity of space from for time immortal, which is uh, terrifying. Okay. <laughs> so this is... That got dark. <laughs> yeah. So this is an Indian Pale Ale with, a, with an IBU of 50 and an ABV of 6.3. And this is a collaboration brewed in Bend, Oregon with Cloudburst Brewing of Seattle, Washington. The Indian Pale Lager has floral and perfume aromas and a crisp finish. A very clean lager with hop aromas derived from Citra, Denali, and Nelson Savin hops make this beer shine. Mm -hmm. The uh, story time on it is pretty much uh, what Rick said and the standard, you know, recycle the can, all that jazz. You know the story. And the beer is very forgiving on my incredibly sloppy pour, which is I'm thankful for. Yep, I'm still making lots of foam. Lots of head on that. It is a lager. It is very much a lager. It is very, very clear. Little cloud, little cloud, but I mean, we're talking pale lager. Real grapefruit aroma on that head, yeah. too. That is, that, I'm pouring it and I'm like, that smells like grapefruit. Yeah, it's got that floral, 
that floral that they were talking about. Yep, that's, yeah. The floral is, I'm calling it grapefruit just because yep. it smells like that. But yeah, very, very floral. Very yellowy. Yeah, very yellowy, straw colored, very straw colored, very, very bubbly. Hmm. Very, very large bubbles on the head too. So, I mean, this is a Indian pale lager. So it's going to be more the brewing style of the lager with the hops, huh. but it's not too bad. It does have that bitter hit, that lo- yeah. that, that hoppy bitter hit. Yeah, it's got some of that that hop tang to it. It's weird because that hop tang is very forward. You have no misrepresentation mm-hmm. of it being hops, but it's not gross no. about it. Uh, it's got a, a little bit of fuzz on the tongue. It's kind of like bubbly, effervescent. Mm-hmm. It's got a really clean fris- finish. It's got that really crisp lager finish. That is weird how it is, It because that lager finish is there. It, yeah. Like you got the IPA, kind of a smooth IPA rolling over your tongue. And as it rolls back over your tongue, the lager starts rolling in too. It's like the second wave is lager. And yeah. the further away the IPA goes the more the lager comes to the forefront. In fact, the aftertaste on it is like 30 hops, 70 lager. That's odd combo. Huh. Yeah, I like this. This is a this is a fun little beer. And a perfect beer on a nice sunny day, if I do say so myself. Yeah. So cheers, buddy. Cheers to you, my friend. Clink. Clink, clink. Let's not horse around with this. <laughs> Let's get uh, right into this issue because let me tell you, folks, this is a long one. We are going to be going through a lot of content, so we better get started now. Power Pack Holiday Special Issue Number One, February 1992. Small changes. Credits. Writer Louise Simonson. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Weezy's back. Penciler June Brigman. Yay! Yay! June's back. Inker. Roy Richardson. Yay! Yay! If you're not familiar with that name, you could also read it as Mr. June Brigman. Yes. Mm-hmm. The colorist is Gregory Wright. Letterer, Steve Dutro. Editor, Fabian Nesazia. Chief, Tom DeFalco. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, older power sibling. Currently, a horse, due to reasons. Julie Power, second oldest power sibling. Jack Power, second youngest power sibling. Katie Power, youngest power sibling. And guest starring Jim and Maggie Power, the parents of the Power Kids who are suffering from brain trauma due to the chameleons. Friday, a chameleon smart ship. Marad, a snark that hates the Power Kids. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the smart ship Friday. Okay, even though I know we've done this bit multiple times, I'll accept it, I'll accept it. Friday is... Yawn, trekking across the universe while most of the Power family is asleep. And we mean all of the family is here. Finally! But that does mean that it's including Horse Alex, Supersuited Dad, and Comatose Mom. You may be asking about the Supersuited Dad, and we will get to that. But for now, the only human awake is Julie. And she's talking to her Comatose Mom, letting her know what all of the Power Pack fans have been feeling. I hate it. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense anymore. Boy, howdy. She has been reminiscing about being younger and how things are so bad now, and she is really sad. Okay, we are going with a meta approach with commentary on their recent adventures against what it used to be like. Nice. A little later, Julie has laid down next to Katie. They are both looking at a picture of their family together. Happy. Laughing. Brains intact. Not turning into animals. You know, the good times. The good times. Well, Jack has had enough of this sentimental girl stuff. First, it has woken him up. Second, it is too mushy. 
And third, he wants to lock in the nomination for being the detention kid early. He takes the photo from Julie, crumpling it up, and then accidentally disintegrating it while denigrating the family's chance to ever become normal again. That tears it. Actually, it disintegrated it. Ba-dum-bum. Julie and Jack start fighting. Julie is justifiably mad that Jack wants him to forget about the way things were and for destroying her cherished family memento. It's up to Katie to try and break up the fighting, reminding them not to use their powers in front of Mom, or it'll make her even more crazy. Again. Okay. Now we get a weird statement that we will have to talk about later. Julie mentions her dad has superpowers, which, you know, he doesn't. That was the Elan disguised as her father in a previous issue. But, you know what, never mind that. What is important is that she is upset and confused by how her parents are acting and how Alex has changed into a Chimelian. It is like they were being written as bad parodies of themselves in a story by a writer who wanted to be writing Fantastic Four stories instead. Jack, being Jack, insults Julie and all girls everywhere and tells them to go back to sleep. And just in time, too, because we have to switch to another, more bizarre setting. Imagine, if you will, a giant video screen with the image focused in on Julie's crying eye. And we see Chimelian guards, a shadowy Chimelian figure, Queen Mother Maraud, and a non-horse Alex in a glass tube. You have entered the Wheezy Zone. Hang on to your retcons, boys and girls. Louise Simonson is not wasting any time in untangling these knots and fixing power pack. Apparently, at least according to the Alex in the tube... Who I guess has been sealed for freshness? Yes, for freshness. Julie has almost figured out the mystery like Alex had about their parents. Additionally, we hear Maraud confirmed to the technocrat, uh, you know, that annoying chameleon who was moving the chameleons away from nature and more towards technology, and who was really jerky to power pack. Yeah, yeah that guy. Well, Maraud confirms that the horse Alex's reversion is making Julie suspicious, and she needs to replace, like, stat. Okay, there is a whole lot of talking and thinking and stuff in the next few pages, and it is going to be much easier to sum up what has been happening than to walk through the panels. So... The technocrat really wanted the Annihilation formula from Jim Power, and he was willing to bring Queen Maraud out of exile to help advise him on how to do that. I mean, who wouldn't? Since he is not needed on the wonderful planet the chameleons now live, he has decided to kill everybody. Naturally. Naturally. He secretly replaced Maggie and Jim with pseudoplasm replicas of themselves so that he would have unfettered access to their minds to find the formula. And then he replaced Alex after Alex had discovered this plan. Well, what is pseudoplasm? Let me answer. It is a substance that a Chimelian clone is made of, and when that clone is zapped with science, it changes them into a perfect replica of another individual. Well, almost perfect. Some side effects include irritability, insanity, intense raspberry smell, inconsistent facial hair, drastic wardrobe changes, serious cancellations, and occasional equine transformations. Other than those minor things at best, they're exactly like the subject. I like to think of them as the beta unit from the last Starfighter, except without the self-awareness. Now I want Freddy to be a gunship. Well, I do too, but she can't be, and we are telling a story. So moving on. The technocrat did this to the power parents to try and get the formula, just like the Starks tried to do back in the first issue. And, as we said, Alex found out, and the technocrat did the same thing to him. So, Alex has been stuck in that bottle thing for a while? Yeah, I assume they shower and feed him or something. Otherwise, whew, funky. 
Now, I guess that since Friday has brought the powers close enough to the location, the technocrat can spy on them and even attempt to substitute the newly created pseudo-Julie with the real one via teleportation. Well, it would have been a great plan, but Alex has used this time to finally find a weakness in the tube he is in, and he escapes. He clouds over to all the equipment the technocrat has in this room and does a focused blast of air bubbles at the controls, knocking them out of commission. Kaboom! And take a drink on a new use of the powers. Cheers, Alex. You did good. As Mirage uses her tail to knock out the distracted Alex, we see the effects of his actions on this and other activated pseudoplasmoids. First, the newly made Julie starts melting. And then, on Friday, so do the parents and horse Alex. Hooray! And also, you. Okay, so this is pretty horrific. You just saw half of your family melt away, and the good news is, this may be the worst thing that happens today. At that moment, Julie disappears in front of Katie and Jack's eyes. Well, then that happened. The dastardly duo decided to at least get the capture part of their plan done, even if the replacement will not work. Once Julie has been 86 Inspector Friday does some thinking and investigating for the two remaining children. You see... There is now a clue. Friday inspects the yucky goop that was the older member of the Power family and declares that these probably were not humans. <laughs> you think? Friday informs the two that the leftover silly putty like pseudoplasm is in fact a banned substance that can replicate people and can be controlled remotely called pseudoplasm. Good old Friday. Providing the answers and exposition after we already explained it. Okay. What else does she know? She suspects that somebody took the parents and Alex and replaced them with these jelly babies. Okay, yeah. This is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. But who, who could have done this deed? Well, we know. And so does Julie. Because after the shock of her molecules being shunted across space wears off, she is hit with some sciency capture field thingy. Julie can't do much, but she does see her human brother Alex in a new, more secure tube. And after a brief hello, she is tossed into her own tube by the technocrat. And they even are kind enough to burp the edge of it. Alex gives us our third update on what's up, while the technocrat ponders what to do now that they do not have the pseudoplasmoids on Friday to observe the rest of Power Pack anymore. What is he worried about? They are just two little kids. What can they do? Worry. Worry and fret. Hmm. That sounds like the title of an indie comic book that I would read. Alex and Julie try to work on their own plans. They need to escape and save their parents who are somewhere in a nearby lab. But they are being monitored. How can they make plans in secret? By using the best cryptographical method known to children. Pig Latin? So simple, it just might work. Okay. Let's check in on our players. Alex and Julie are Anning Play, Erethe, Escapeye. The Technocrat and Murad are working on their quickest way to wring information from the parents' soft, fleshy, repetitively wrung brains, and Friday is approaching the new chameleon homeworld. Approaching, but not making it all the way. Friday takes a hit as the technocrat calls out E7 on the battleship board. Friday is trying to figure out where the pig in her battleship came from and resorts to a Star Wars line. Your feeble skills are no match for the power of the dark side. What? No! It's That's No Moon. It's a space station. Why would you say it was that other line? It was uh, what my random Star Wars quote generator told me to say. Just... 
go back to the story. As you wish. That's a different movie entirely. The technocrat, at Maraud's urging, starts firing everything he can at the more advanced smart ship. Wait, more advanced? Didn't Johnny Storm recently weld some steel together as an art project, and then the Elon magically glued Friday back together from those pieces? Is that what we're calling advanced these days? Hey, Friday is magically awesome and delicious, okay? In fact, it looks like she takes a real damaging shot and is going in for a crash landing. This is what the technocrat wants and opens a landing bay door for her to crash into. But she is faking. Sure, she took some damage, but just enough to put her on the injured reserve list and not out of the game. She hands Katie and Jack the away team supply pack of a red shirt, tricorder, and communicators and tell them to have fun storming the castle and saving their family and not to play with any bug-eyed monsters that they might meet along the way. Having watched an episode or two of Star Trek, they ditch the red shirts and follow the parent pointer on their scanner. Opting to forego doors, the kids decide on a straightforward approach and begin to X-Men their way through the walls. Bring, bring, bring! Laysai, says the technocrat, now I have humans infesting my ship. Maraud tries to warn the meddled-up Chimelian that these children are not to be trifled with. The technocrat reminds Maraud that they will think he is their friend as he is a Chimelian. Maraud, planning a few moves ahead, grabs an air mask. She thinks it will help the technocrat sell her as his prisoner of war with a muzzle and shackles on. After they leave, Alex and Julie put their Upper Say, Upper Day, Ecret Say, and Play into action. Ooray! Alex clouds up while Julie blasts into the air, ripping her tube off of its base, circles around, and smashes her tube into his. Scratch! So, these perfect prisons are pretty lame when you can just lift them up and break them? Well... Julie got cut up pretty bad from her successful escape attempt. Alex laments that's too bad she doesn't have the cloud powers. Clouds don't bleed. But clouds do cry. Where do you think rain comes from? Well, they were only crying because of something you did. Hey, that, eh, fair. Yeah, you're right. I did. Anyway, Julie has this brilliant and plot-relevant idea. What if they tried trading powers? Voluntarily between each other. Smash cut. Jack and Katie are surrounded by chameleon guards. Why would they attack us? My guess is that they know that Katie has finally outgrown her pony phase, and they are hurt. Deeply hurt. Emotionally hurt by this. Actually, the technocrat shows up at this point, pulling Murad along like an animal, giving them an excuse that he thought they were allies of Murad. But now he sees that it's power pack. He then starts to blame all of this on Murad. It is a pretty great cover story. And worthy of our lie of the issue, if we were doing our Patreon show. Oh, P.S. Check out our Patreon shows where we cover the power pack comics from the 2000s. They are really good. And product placement. But then he is interrupted by... Lightspeed Alex and Density Julie! You will believe a boy can fly... with a rainbow! And punch a space horse. Wham! Before you go-go. Katie starts peppering them with questions about why he isn't a horse. Why does he have Julie's powers? Where's Mommy and Daddy? And why is Steve Gutenberg a star? But the other chameleon soldiers start to attack and the kids respond in kind. Including a nice zero-g'd uppercut from Katie. Whack! Maraud takes the opportunity to grab Katie's throat and Jack blasts a powerball at her and misses the dodging former space queen, hitting the exterior bulkhead behind her. Great. Now we've got a giant hole into space. Just great, Jack. Okay, keep with me here because a lot happens. First, all the Chimelian guards 
Go all goopy. Turns out they were pseudoplasm all along. As is the technocrat. He starts to melt and knocks Maraud into space. The kids, meanwhile, are having their own problems. Julie, being a gas, has to quickly pull herself together and finds that her wounds have healed. Alex grabs her, but his flight power is not enough to get them to safety, so he has Katie switch powers with him. He weighs down himself and Julie, then takes hands with the rest of the kids and he gets them on the other side of the airlock and then closes the door, giving them a first bit of safety that they've had in a while. Power Pack is back together and they're all human. Huzzah! Hey Jack, we did it! We've rescued them! Why aren't you happy? The Chimelians and Maraud were sucked into space through the hole I blew in the wall. They're all dead because of me. Well, yeah, but to be fair, most of them were science goo, and not to be that guy, Maraud is really not a real person, per se, so to say. Fine, but I still think that this is going to cost the power some serious money in therapy later on as they talk about watching some space horses melt and get sucked into the vacuum of space while an alien queen got yeeted as well. Whoa, wait a second. Remember how Maraud put on that air mask earlier? Well, it is serving her well. She grabbed onto the edge of the hole and is actually still alive. And now that the technocrat is out of the way, she can finally get... Revenge! On Power Pack. Ah... Feels good to squeeze one of those into an episode. The kids are trying to find their way back to Friday, but this base is a maze, and they quickly resort to bickering. The bickering is mostly from Jack, not wanting to stop and ask for directions, because we are not lost. If we just keep driving in this direction we're driving, I am sure that we will get to park before it closes. Now just sit there and be quiet. <sighs> Ooh, channeling something from our past. Katie, against Jack's protest, uses her communicator to reach Friday. She's still doing some repairs, but she plugs herself into the base's computers and R2-D2s them some information about their parents' location. Maraud, meanwhile, is sneaking around, watching the kids. She has found a weapon, but still has some shackles on. This is not ideal for dealing with some kids who have whooped her before. Luckily, she finds the force ghost of the technocrat. Now, wait a minute. No, 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 hear me out. Yes, that was a pseudoplasmic clone that Maraud observed dripping into space, but the technocrat is more or less the computer system in the moon base, and he is now projecting a hologram to interact with the Snark Queen. But where are the kids now? Well, since we've been neck deep in a Star Wars movie, would you believe that the kids are in a garbage chute? And that garbage chute is a shortcut to the parents? Why, yes. Yes, I would. Maraud and the ghost of the technocrat release the garbage chute's plunger, hoping to squash the kids into paste. The hydraulic press is too powerful for Alex and the degrav power to stop, so Jack needs to disintegrate it. But he has already absorbed too much energy and needs to vent it as a powerball. And what better place to vent that powerball but into the plunger that is trying to give them the squeeze. Rome. Well, some damage is done, but it's a tiny hole. So... Good job, Jack. Way to meet the minimum standard of this test. Julie clouds through the hole and assesses the situation. Her solution is for Jack to switch powers with her, so that way she can disable the hydraulic arm as Jack clouds up to watch someone succeed at using the energy powers. We're welcome, Okay, good. But now Alex and Katie are below, with just the degrav power holding them up. Katie swaps powers with Julie, disintegrates the wall, and Alex and her dive into the next room just as the airlock opens beneath them. Julie and Jack head out the same hole as the plate smashes down, plugging the open airlock long enough for them to get to safety. Hey, neat! With all the power swapping going on, 
they all have their original powers again. Katie, a child obviously raised on Looney Tune cartoons, starts disintegrating holes directly to where their parents are being kept. They are soon reunited with their cocoon parents, and it feels so good. Okay, parents found, Peaches and Herb referenced, and Friday fixed up. Yeah, they need to find her again. But it looks like things are looking up for the old pack of powers whose unpacked powers have been packed back into their original packaging. Except that the technocrat seems to have activated his spare synth suit and is plotting with Maraud on a new way to stop these infernal children. One tiny point we should mention. The technocrat has made some comments to Maraud that causes her to realize that this entire space station is probably the technocrat's actual body and that the computer system is his brain. And this is bad for the technocrat because Maraud suspects that that this entity is going mad, mad enough for her to enact a cunning plan. Faced with this maddening information, Maraud uses an amazing sales pitch and somehow convinces the technocrat that the best thing to do to Power Pack is to destroy them by shooting a missile at them through the moon base. You know, that thing that is encasing his own very essence. At the last moment, Maraud shoves the missile launcher to the side, blowing out all of the sensitive computer thingies. Oh dear. I would like to buy a vowel, please. And Power Pack would like to buy a teleporter. While the missile missed them, this satellite of love has reached a critical failure point and is going to at any moment. Alex takes charge, degrabbing the parent pods and instructing Jack to make a density bubble. Friday, from the other part of the station, blast out of the exploding hangar. And Maraud, well, she tries to escape, but the technocrat uses his last free life icon to drop debris on the fleeing snark. She is going to burn with the station. Hooray! Crick-a-boom-boom! Boom. That would be the Death Star exploding. But let's focus in on that fireball and see a very tense Jack holding a force field up for his family as the pressures of space push in on it. An apt metaphor for the life of a child yearning to grow, but confronted with the ennui of nothingness. Dude, he's just trying to save his family. And oh, the stress. Okay, well, whatever. Friday has also escaped and is flying out to left field to catch the Powerball and bring the family into the safety of her ship. And speaking of ships, a fleet of smart ships is heading up from Camellia. I guess a huge explosion in the vicinity of their planet alarmed somebody. Their arrival means that Friday has an escort home since Power Pack resolved this issue's issues. Later on Chimelia, Power Pack are greeted by Lord Yurik and Kofi after they have had time to recover. The Chimelians have even healed their parents, but... Everything is back to the status quo. The mind locks are still on the parents to allow them to accept unusual people and events. Jim and Maggie think that the Chimelians saved them and not their children, and they don't know about their kids' powers again. And while it is not great, it is also not changing. Why not? Because... Horse logic. Hmm. Another quo that has been statused is that the kids have their original power sets again and seem unable to power swap when they are going to show Kofi how they can do it. Katie is Destroyer, Julie is Lightspeed, Alex is G, and Jack is Massmaster. <laughs> Still funny. <laughs> yeah, I know, it is. But whatever happened to cause them to ask for and switch powers is over, and they are back to issue 5 status. Issue 5? Don't you mean like issue 2? Nah, uh, issue 5 is when they came back home from space the first time with their parents and their powers. This time, the power parents are awake to get to see the awesome sight of Friday flying through New York and seeing the pretty, pretty lights and the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. 
Merry Christmas, everyone. Dude, it is June. If you're going to spoil it for everyone, you are not getting a Junemas present this year. Man. Yeah, you just cry about it, buddy. You cry about it. And while you're crying about it, we are going to talk about the themes of this issue with Power Pack packaging as we look at the Power Pack holiday special. Ding, 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 ding. And this is done by June Brigman and Rory Richardson, the artist of this issue. And this is an all new story by the original creators, Power pack holiday special and we have the four kids flying up uh, they're all back in their original powers and the original costumes which should be a hint for you but katie is blasting up a power bowl right underneath the holiday special which is in power packs in red and the holiday specials in green kind of you know colors and not the marvel comics in the uh box up in the corner it's it's you know red background with green on the comics and it says the pack is back and behind them is space with kind of a Oh, it, it's it's uh, the technocrat. I just I just now realized that was the technocrat. You mean <laughs> the uh, the teal colored uh, chimelian outline with circuitry throughout it? it? It's it's really obscure. I mean, really, if you look at it, I never noticed until just this moment that that was actually a horse head. I just thought it was some <laughs> kind of shape back there. I never really <laughs> focused on it. But yes, it takes up like, a fifth of the page, Rick. I, it, it's I, I I was more I care about the kids. I don't care about this whatever's behind them. I thought it was okay. just some. I thought it was kind of like a world. I, honestly, I think I just used to think that it was kind of a world, some kind of strange alien world in space. But I was like, huh, that, that world's not complete. That globe's not complete. It only goes like a. Oh, and there's kind of a that's a horse head. <laughs> Yes, it is. No, I'm not making fun of you. I can totally see how it would be just kind of a, oh, yeah, okay, it's a horizon there in front of a planet or something. I totally get that. Maybe it's got some broken edges on it. I don't know. It's a thing. It's whatever. I totally get it as that. But it is a a nice bit of foreshadowing that people may not fully get because it is a stylized Chimelian head. So I could see how you would just now be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. That's that's a thing. And and here's what's interesting, too, is that this drawing of the kids is, it's not the June Brigman style of art here in 1991. No. Nope. It's kind of a re- reproduction of her art style back in 1986. Because mm-hmm. the kids are, are a little bit flatter. They're a little bit more, it's like more of a juvenile drawing. It It's a throw, I think that this is a conscious throwback that she did for that style of art she had back then. Because okay. it doesn't match what's in the book. And I like it. No, it is nice. You can tell that her art has changed, that yeah. she has uh, you know, developed as an artist while doing this. Because looking through it, it seemed just a, a little bit off. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was uh, still very familiar, but it was a little bit off. Yeah, I, I really like it, though. I really like it. I think that this is a good cover. And I am very, very happy that June and Wheezy are back. Yeah, that's what we want. Yeah, I know. This is what we've wanted. Let's go ahead and talk a little about the time frame because we've been doing this with the last issues that we've seen. Power Pack 62 came out in December of 1990. Now, prior to that, we had Excalibur 29, which should have taken place after Power Pack 62. That came out in August of 1990. Now, in uh, May of 1991, we had Marvel Superheroes number six that came out. This came out in December of 1991. So this is about one year after the final issue of Power Pack came out. We have some questions because one of the things that's in here is Julie mentions that her dad has powers, which 
that was just the surprise cliffhanger that Michael mm-hmm. Higgins left with us, with us on Power Pack 61, which seems to me that maybe that might have been the last thing that Weezy had read. And then she's like, okay, well, I'm not going to read the last issue, whatever. <laughs> it might not have even read. It might have been somebody, it's, you know, she like asked somebody. I was like, well, how did it end? What's going on? Well, yeah, I, I think that, I think Jim had powers and, and the kids were going up to space. She goes, okay, great. I can work with that. Yep. You know? Okay, the mom's comatose and they're, yeah, oh, good. They're going to Chimelia to get fixed. Yeah, we I can work with that. Yeah, whatever's going on, I'll fix it. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to know when this was originally written and drawn. It's something I think I want to kind of, I may try to ask. I doubt if they remember. It just feels to me that they started working on this and – Maybe just we start working on episode 61. We knew what was going to go with issue 62. We're just going to go with it and we're going to fix it and whatever. It's just one line that Julie mentions and I'm fine with ignoring it. It just mm-hmm. it kind of caught me. I was like, going, wait, she knew that that wasn't yeah. that doesn't have powers. That was Elon. And plus they've done a couple of other adventures since then. And okay, whatever. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it was more along the lines of Weezy just going, uh, okay, I got the overview, the brush strokes of it. I, I'm getting rid of it anyway. I'm moving on. Just it. Yeah, just go. So. Yeah. But then she also mentions, too, that she thought it was strange that Whitey appeared to Alex and not the others, which was in issue 62. Mm-hmm. And the kids are in space, which is where they were left off at the end of issue 62. So I don't know how much she really looked at the issues or really read them. I think she might have just been like, oh, this isn't good. I'm going to fix it. Yeah, because there's no mention of the Elon, uh, you know, the Elon yeah. had gone back into its quadrant of space. Maybe it just flew on its own. I assumed it went with Friday, but yeah. Nah, nah. This is a control-alt-delete reset. It, it really is. is. She she goes in, she says, okay, this is about where we left off. These are the things, these are the issues that people have. We're going to fix this, and we're going to explain it. I think she bends over a little backwards to try to explain things, but... It's good. What do you think of her explanation of how the parents have been acting strange and about Alex being a horse? It is a fine way of covering it. It is a fine way of, of retconning it. It's a, it's a nice brush to paint over. Could they have gone other routes? Yes, they could have. Did they? No. Is this good? Yes. Are the other ways that they could have done it good too? Yes, probably. It's just kind of like, they basically, it could have been anything. They could have said mm-hmm. that it was, all of that was canon, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It could have been mm-hmm. anything. And it was a fine way of doing it. I'm trying to think of other examples. And it's like, maybe Alex had a, an allergic reaction to something that he <laughs> ate on Chimelia. Maybe blue sawdust. Maybe he's been nibbling the blue sawdust and that turns humans Chimelia. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But no, it's, <laughs> it is a fine way of, of just kind of moving on. Because they also wipe out, you know, it's like, oh, here's the technocrat. Where it's like, oh, it was the technocrat that they experienced before. Mm. And I was kind of reading it. And I'm like, oh, I think that this is like... The person who created Pseudoplasm, who they exiled hundreds of years ago, but maybe it's current, maybe, you know, it's kind of hard to tell exactly who it is. But we could say it's the technocrat from the previous comics. Right. Yeah. It's the technocrat, though, that, you know, had this great idea that he's going to sit uh, sick force four on them. Yep. He wants to show that the technology is better than nature. And yeah, he, he's the one who's kind of been a bit of a thorn in the side that John Bogdanoff left with the issues. Mm-hmm. So this was a nice kind of wrap up of that storyline too. Yeah. It finally brought a hard close on Maraud. She's gone. She's out of there. Well, it's a vaguely mysterious death, but it's still, yeah, she's it's probably vague. gone. It's good enough. The technocrat introducing him as kind of a big bad with its own little satellite station sure. and everything is like, yeah, I'd buy that. N- yeah. None of this in here is, is anything where I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, no, I totally buy that. And it is a threat that was introduced and then removed. But like in all comics or any storytelling, you could always 
always bring it back up in the future if you wanted to. If anybody was like, you know what, I really like the technocrat character. I want to evolve that more. It could be a set, a different smart ship going around, mm-hmm. with, you know, a pseudoplasm thing. It doesn't matter. It could make its own power pack team of blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of ways that you could continue stories with these characters if you wanted to. Or it, it's also a great way of just saying, we are done with these characters. Yeah. They're done. The book is closed. The chapters are finished. It is on the shelf. It has returned to the library kind of thing. And we have a fun time playing with these characters. The characters are in space. They're doing goofy stuff. They're interacting with their environment. It's just a fun little issue. It is neat. Yeah, it's very nice. They have good adventures. You see them messing around with their powers. They, they hey, we can switch powers around. And they're, they're solving puzzles. I like seeing the kids be themselves again. This is what we've been missing since Michael Higgins. We just mm-hmm. haven't seen the kids being the kids. And it's not like they're have been changed back to younger kids. I still think that, you know, they've got a bit of a growing up that they're doing. You can still see some of it, but you're not making them jaded. You're not making them just weird. They're not (laughs) juvenile. They're not grimdark. They're not edgy. They're not. I understand writing stories of like a a boy crazed Julie. Sure. I understand that. I'm like, yeah, okay. you, You know, that that is that's a viable storytelling technique is like oh there's girl crazy jack and boy sure. crazy julie and blah 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 that is fine but it never sat right with me for the characters yeah. and so i like julie going back to being an 11 year old girl who is doing her stuff and you know kind of gaining self confidence and everything in her own life but removing that very generic easy storytelling trope of like this you know kind of thing where it's like yeah that's you know it's like when you're watching tv shows and you're like oh i guess they're introducing this kind of storyline which usually runs for about three years and is oftentimes uh inadvertently overwhelms the stories <laughs> that's in the show and blah you know kind of thing i'm liking this and i should mention right now and we should mention this up front too this book has three stories in it we're only covering one tonight we're only covering one we're going to do a second part of the show where we're going to hit the last two stories and one of those stories is a a boy crazy yep. julie which we'll get to that one so we are just going to cover this one story tonight but let's go ahead and talk about one more thing here and that is could we have done this story and removed the mind locks and had the parents come to accept the kids have powers yeah is it better without them knowing? It is the classic superhero thing of those closest to me and who love me and that I love the most are unaware of this secret side of my life. And then you have to work around it. That is a kind of a classic superhero trope mm-hmm. right there. You know, I cannot tell my family lest they are, you know, rent asunder by grief or worry or blah, blah, blah. She's just reset the deck. She's put the toys back on the shelf kind of thing. If we're going to leave one change, though, would you have liked that to be changed? Would you have liked the parents to be fixed, understanding that they have powers and accepting it and willing to say, okay, well, you know, we understand what's going on here. Not happy about it, but you know what? This is a choice. We're going to work with you on it. Well, I think they're going to be surprised when they go back home and find out that their apartment has been destroyed. And that they have nowhere to live and that they don't have any money because Pseudoplasm Jim used all their money going to the different psychology institutes to try and fix Pseudoplasm Maggie. You, you and, know, you know. <laughs> and the fact that there's all those news coverage things of their kids using their powers. Blah, blah, blah. They've come, blah, back, blah, to blah. Earth, they've come back to Earth in the like, chameleon coin and that, and that stuff spends. That stuff spends. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I, I would have liked her to reset this and, and fix the parents not knowing and just say you know what, we've solved the brain issue, we've explained it to them, we've explained everything that's gone on, and, you know, kind of worked with them. It's, you know, they can handle it, they understand, they still love their kids, and they're mm-hmm. still the Maggie and 
gem that we all expect. I kind of wish that she had done that. I wish that she had left, had fixed that part too. And just like, let's move on from that. Let's have the kids have powers. The parents know. I think it would have been good. I think there's a storytelling that could be done in either direction. It would have been a little bit, you know, different storytelling if they had removed the brain locks and everything. But here's the thing on that too, is that uh, with those mind locks, is they have said repetitively, it's just like, this can break their minds if you're having superpowers is violently thrust upon them. Yeah. Because it could just, it, it can open up, you know, having them still have the mind locks on. And then in future issues of potential power pack storyline where like the kids sit down with their parents and just go, we're going to have a calm talk and discussion. And then slowly, you know, kind of indoctrinate them, just kind of, you know, just slowly wear away the mind lock by just kind of talking to them. But that's the thing, though. I, I don't want that. Like, I would rather have it like, we're here. We're going to fix them. We're going to fix all this stuff. We're sorry we did it. We're going to explain the issue. Let's move on to the other stories of, oh, our wacky kids have powers. Hey. Well, my kid's on the honor roll. Really, mine saved the Empire State Building. <laughs> my kid's on the honor roll. Oh, yeah, well, mine has breakfast with Galactus. What do you want? Yeah, when I was uh, having breakfast with Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, we were talking about our kids' achievements. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So, I, there, there's a lot in here. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I can't really think of too much else. It is... Um, actually, there's a minor one, which is... Why did the moon base have a giant missile launcher in its command center aimed at the floor? Well, you see, the technocrat has a lot of skills, but he never mastered feng shui. Oh, okay. And and he tried doing a lot of different things to to rectify that. He, he had some ideas for for ways of making things better. Originally, it was supposed to be a hat rack, but then, oh. you know... The design kind of got away from him a little bit. And, gotcha. you know, who doesn't have a missile launcher in their basement? Just me? Well, just you. I mean, that's ridiculous. In your basement, Rick? No, yeah. put it in the kitchen like a normal person. But that's where I cook food. I don't want that, like, jet fuel my food. That's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. That's about the only thing that I could think of. <laughs> now, speaking of kitchens and speaking of cooking... Let's talk about Power Thoughts. And the reason we're talking about Power Thoughts is because this issue is so big and we've been talking so long about it that we're going to skip all the other stuff we normally do. But Power Pack has been without a refrigerator for quite a while and they still don't have one. Luckily, they have ended up on this beautiful planet of Camellia and they don't have a refrigerator either. They eat blue sawdust. So instead, what they've got is they've got a big box because that's what blue sawdust is kept in is a box. So, what are we going to put on the Blue Sawdust box? What piece of artwork do we find absolutely funny enough to put on the Blue Sawdust box? Well, I could give you my joke backup one. Page 14. And I call it, Friday shouldn't have had that late night chili. (laughs) I had this on my list as well. (laughs) (laughs) It is the center bottom panel, and it is when... They have scooped up pseudoplasmic remains of their loved ones, and have, uh, then they're going to get rid of it because the pseudoplasm requires an atmosphere to form into shapes. So sure. they're going to vent it into space. And so Friday is venting pseudoplasm into space. And boy, howdy, it looks I, you like know a what? bad I, show. I have, I have no way of getting you out of this. This is your problem that you've gotten into. Let me just go ahead and try this. <laughs> My backup funny one is on page 27. I'm going to call this one here, I'm a ghost. 
<laughs> and, and, and this is, there's a hole in the ship, dear Liza, dear Liza, dear there's Liza. a hole in the ship. And, um, you see Jack and Katie, they're, they're about to fly out. And who is being pulled out is Julie, because she's got the cloud form at the moment. And so she's got her arms up and she's going, woo, and like her hair is up like a ghost and she's getting sucked out into space. And it looks very funny. I don't know yeah. why. It just looks very, very funny. No, as soon as she said it's a ghost, I'm like, I totally get it. I see it. I love it. That's funny. I love it. No, that is hilarious. I like that a lot. <laughs> what is your top funny one, sir? My top joke one is on page 39, and I call it, on second thought, maybe a giant missile launcher aimed at the floor of my command module is a bad idea. <laughs> and I mentioned it earlier, this is uh, when Marad is convincing the technocrat to shoot a giant rocket through his own ship to kill the power pack. But yeah, it's just, there's a big weapon aimed at the floor in your planet base and it's just it's ridiculous and hilarious and i love it it's all spiky and everything it's great <laughs> but it's it's it makes no sense no no it does not make any sense at all and as far as a design for your future home we do not do not recommend it at all yeah don't do not, uh, don't do that yeah don't don't, do don't if you're gonna build your home chimelian modern don't add the uh missile launcher in your uh, living room people are gonna tell you that it's gonna raise the value of your house on resale but they're lying they're mm -hmm. just trying to upsell you they're they're trying to make that quick buck yep 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 don't do that do not you? do that do not do that because if you do that you are gonna be like on page eight on page eight and you're gonna be nothing more than this stupid stupid alex and I call it this because it's Alex in the tube, and he's all crunched up at the bottom, and he's hitting his head. He's like, stupid, stupid Alex, stupid Alex. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to reference the uh, panel above that. He's trying to escape his tube, and he's like, hmm, my high-density mega punch won't shatter the walls either. Darn. And it's just the, the goofiest-looking punch. Like, he's just kind of standing there. He's like, stand still. And then, like, lift your arm up to a wall and go, well, I didn't break it. That didn't, that didn't do it. No. Yeah. I got the one after that where he's just sitting there hitting his head going, stupid. stupid like, stupid. stupid, stupid Why stupid, did I see that? Oh. <laughs> no, that's pretty funny. <laughs> there is a lot of good art in here. There really, yeah. really is. Let's talk about some of that good art. What is your backup best art one? My best best. Backup part one is on page 42. Dang it, you man. Dang it. <laughs> yep. It's probably one that you've got on your list as well. And I call it Big Bada Boom. Big Bada Boom is it. And this is my backup one as well. Yep. And it is the Death Star or the Technocrat Star blowing up. Yes, it is. And it is uh, glorious. It is a really nice looking painting. That is a great bit of art. I do like at the bottom right hand corner, you see... The pinball of Alex, or the pinball of Jack and his family, flying out of the explosion as well, which I think is a nice, nice touch. Oh, yeah, which is really cool, showing us. It, it kind of gives you a little sense of scale, and it gives you a, oh, they survived that. That's really cool. And I do like later, uh, when they're talking, it's like, Jack, you doing okay? And it's just like, the intense heat, now the intense cold, it's kind of a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, as the entire family is kind of like just you know drifting and losing it, because they're like, we're holding on, or we, you know, they need to be rescued. Yeah. Well, since you stole that one from me, I'm going to tell you what my top best one is on page seven. Yep. Is this your top yep. best one? Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. You mean page seven, basically? <laughs> big. Big. Oh, page seven? I, big. I call. Yeah. You call it big eye? 
I call it here. Hold on. I'm going to call it. I call it. It always feels like somebody's watching me. <laughs> yeah. 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 We because it goes both ways because the they're watching her, but it, you got the big eye looking at them. I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. It's really clever. Now shut up. So yeah, they're in the main room of the. <laughs> they're in the main room of the technocrats chamber, and you got Alex there, and he's looking up and banging on his tube like, "Oh no!" And you got a line of pseudo plasm guards that are sitting over their corner, and you got the technocrat all in shadows, and you got Maraud. Her arms are like all locked up, and there's this giant computer screen, and it's just focused on Julie's eye, and it's yeah. crying, and tears are coming out, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is amazing looking it is a splash page and it is it's a fever dream it's amazing it is super cool it is yeah everything about it i love everything about it i'm sorry that we didn't get to more of the different art because there's a lot of good art in here but we just both kept picking the best art so let's i mean that's just because we're both a couple of fools no that's all we are we, we agreed we agree. We are a couple of fools. And that means that we're on rubber and glue moment. And on page 41, we actually have Murad as she is dying saying, you fool, you fool, you've killed us all. Well, she doesn't say that, but she says something kind of like that. She is being crushed by a beam and she says, fool, while you quibble with me, the smart ship escapes. And she's talking to the force ghost of the technocrat, yep. but she calls him a Fool. A fool. Yeah, Murad had some good stuff in this one. My backup rubber and glue moment is on page 10. And what did you find on page 10 that made you say, ha ha? Uh, this is after Alex initially escapes from his tube. He's going to go, you know, destroy the uh, pseudoplasm control panel kind of thing. And, uh, you know, Murad's all like, he's escaping. I told you he was dangerous. And the technocrats all like, only to the unprepared. While the boys in his gaseous form, ship, suck him up. And Alex, going from gas to solid, says, I'm not gaseous anymore, donkey breath. Donkey breath. Very donkey nice. Breath. Very, yep. very nice. That's a good one. That's a I really good one. I loved it. There's a there's a couple of breaths in here and some meats. There's a I think yeah, there's a lizard breath. There's a dog meat. There, yep. <laughs> there's some good insults in this one. There is there is. I chose a rather mundane one, but I still mm-hmm. liked it. And this is on page three because I wanted to really make sure I got something here from Jack. Uh huh. And this is where he's saying, "Good grief, what are you dopes doing? Give me that, Julie!" As he rips out the photograph out of his sister's hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only is he being an insulting little jerk. By taking a prized photograph, but he's also calling both sisters dopes. Dopes. Yep. <laughs> what can I say? I like I like the simple life sometimes. It's but, good. It's but really I'm sure, good. But I'm sure you've got something that, that can just absolutely top that. What do you got? I do. It is on page 31. And it's Maraud. And it's after she's been vented into space, but has made it back onto the space station. And she's got herself a gun and everything. You know, she's like lurking in the shadows, looking at Power Pack. And she's all, it was easy to locate them. They screech more than a sonic drive. <laughs> They screech more than a sonic drive. It, I, I just I just love it because it's just like, oh, it's throwing some science in there. But also it's just like, of course I could find these kids on this planet-sized space station. They're so loud. It's like having like four of my daughter in the room. Jeez. Uh. <laughs> wow, where's my kid at? Obviously right there. Yep, Can I tell yep. what they're doing? Yes, from across the house. <laughs> and why do we know where our kids are? Because sometimes they're the best, sometimes they're the worst. Yep. Stars in detention, we need to identify the child who was best and the child who was the worst. So, Jeff, need I even 
ask. I think this one was a slam dunk for the worst. I think it was Jack. What? Yeah, of course. It was Jack. It was Jack. It was simply Jack. Katie didn't do a huge amount of stuff, but Jack. Jack did some very big good thing. Jack did one good thing at the end when he saved his family. And the rest of the time, he was kind of a jerk. Yeah, he... He grabbed, crumpled, and inadvertently destroyed a prized family possession. Mm -hmm. He was insulting, you know, throughout the entire thing. He was gender insulting at least twice. There was one time, you know, I didn't even put it in on the uh, rubber and skin because he was, you know, it's like he had tripped and, like, accidentally disintegrated part of Friday. And Katie's like, dude, nice move trying to disintegrate the ship that's keeping us protected from space. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, you've never done this. Your tiny female mind must have forgotten kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And it's like, yeah, I'm not down with the gender shaming there, Jack. You know, and so... Yeah, it's like, Jack, it's like, we don't do gender shaming, and it's just, you're just being pretty bad. You did a good, helpful helpful thing, but you, nope. Jack, so bad. Yeah. So bad, Jack. No, he, he, he had a lot of moments that just were not right. He needed to be better. He, he needed to be much, much better. What should we talk about the best kid in this issue? And I think that there are some good contenders for it. I think for me, what I thought was the best in this issue was Julie. Julie? You think the best kid was Julie? Yes. I cannot argue with that at all. Julie was amazing in this. Name some reasons why, because I've got them. Julie was the one who was thinking about her parents. She was uns- she was solving the problem that was there. She came up with let's talk in pig Latin. She came was coming up with uh, ways of getting out of the uh, getting out of the situations. She came up with the idea of like, hey, let's try this and switching the powers. And then as she was switching the powers, she's like, let's solve the problems this way. Let's unpack the puzzle this way. She was just on top of the game. She was doing she smart was. stuff. All the time. Yes, she was. All of those things and more. She was, yeah, it was the Julie show. She was amazing. She mm-hmm. was so great. Yeah, it was all Julie all the time. I loved her. Yes, very, very much so. Good showing all around, even though we gave Jack a lot of problems. Or we, we gave Jack a lot of crud on this one. He did some good things to save the family. All the kids had some good times to shine. Maybe Katie was a little bit on the on the lower side of things. She kind of became the fourth she wheel on this much, one. Yeah. But I was happy with Alex. I was happy with all the kids. I, this yeah. is the power pack that I remember from the good old days. Yeah. yeah. Another negative on Jack was uh, when they're trying to you know go find the parents, and he's yeah. You know, they're like, we should ask for directions. He's like, no, we're not stopping and asking for directions. We'll find them. It's just like Jack, just don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the the kids all did. At least something great. Katie yes. was a little bit lackluster. Speaking of directions, we need to look on our map of all of the stories we have done up until now and figure out where this story lands in this list. Mm-hmm. So that means we've got poof, we've got a lot here. We have yep. got a lot. We have got 73, 73 stories that we've ranked on here. All the way down the very bottom, we've got chinks in the armor all the way at the bottom there. Up in spot 70, we've got X-Factor Annual 2, The Man in the Moon. Up on spot 60, Thor, Volume 1. This cost us. Up on spot 50, Power Pack 28, The Breakfast Club. That's where um, they all get detention and they sit at school and they have, you know, they, they all represent different characters of yeah. 80s classic. Jocks, oh, no, 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 no. This, this is where they're at, the Avengers. Yeah. They're at Avengers Mansion. Okay, okay. Spot 40, spot 40. Power Pack. Crack down. Alex burns down a crack house in order to destroy all the drugs. 
Love that. <laughs> Spot 30. School days. Boogeyman kidnaps Katie. The kids sneak out of the school to rescue her. Spot 20. Power pack number 22 trapped. The kids go sledding. Alex and Johnny Rival. Wap, 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 wap. They fight. All right. And spot 10. We are getting up there. Power Pack rescues their parents amid Adverno in New York. In Power Pack number 43, the Boogeyman must die. The Boogeyman must die. And our top one, Revenge of the Boogeyman, the start of the Inferno. Boogeyman becomes a demon. Power Pack 42. Jeff, where? On this list, we are out of the bottom. We are nowhere near the bottom with this one. This is a very good issue. This is a very solid issue. Where do we think it goes on this? Oh, let's look at the top half. Hmm. Hmm. Well, if we go all the way back to the beginning, Power Pack number one, Power Play, that's currently on spot 13. Yeah. So this is... That was a double-sized issue as well, as is this. This is June and Wheezy coming back, playing in the sandbox again that they started all the way in Power Pack number one. Mm-hmm. Do we think this is better or worse than the first issue? Man, it's been a while. It's been a it's been a Chimelian's age since <laughs> I've uh, read issue number one. I- I'm mm. going to say that this is better. I think that I this think is better. I agree. I think I agree. There's a lot more heavy lifting they've got to do. Yes, they're starting off a new story. They're introducing the kids. They're doing a lot of world building in that first one. But this one, it's having to fix it, everything. Yeah. And this does it very well to fix things. It does do a very good job fixing things. And there is that thing, too. It's It can hand wave a bunch of stuff because it doesn't have to explain the characters or describe anything. It's just people are as they are. You know who Murad is. You get the idea who the chameleon is. You already know. There's a, lot of ba- there's a lot of heavy lifting that doesn't need to be done. And there's the aspect, too, of repairs are happening so there's there's joy that's to be had from that mm-hmm. so it, it's i think in part it's almost going to be artificially inflated in its ranking just due sure. to those things I, but yeah I, I would think that it could be better than the first one yeah um let me go up a little bit more and look at spot eight power pack 26 this is going home this is where they beat maraud and jackal and they are Coming home, they run into Cloak and Dagger. It's just a kind of a fun little, mm-hmm. we're resetting, going back home. I think this is a little bit on par with that one. Yeah, I could see that. Do we think it's better than that one? Does it fit with the one below it, go above the one above it? I don't know if it really goes above Kidnapped. I'm thinking that it's a bit better than going home. Because from what I recall on that one, it was kind of the ridiculous fight with Cloak and Dagger that could have been fixed with talking mm-hmm. so i think it's a little bit better than that our highest early issues is power pack is in spot number six and that's power pack number four rescue that's kind of the that was a good one that was a good one i i don't think it's better than that one i know so it is seven or eight is what it boils down mm-hmm. to i'd be willing to put it at the new seven all right we'll call this the new seven then that's a very good showing for june and wheezy coming back and fixing everything i the I think it's a very strong issue. I think it does well with what it, they've got to do. And they get away with a lot of stuff because they're coming from such a dark place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they put the work in. They 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 reset stuff. They put yeah, they put the toys back on the shelf. They cleaned up the room. They made it nice. All right, all right, all right. Well, that means that we've got this ranked. We've done the refrigerator gallery. Or I'm sorry, the the blue the blue sawdust box and yeah. <laughs> we've we've we figured it's out what stable, the rubber and so glue. Yeah. yeah, we figured out the rubber and glue is. Um gosh, what else is like was Oh, our beer. Our beer. <laughs> Which is not blue sawdust, which is a little shelf-stable, I guess. What do we think about loose ends? The loose ends that were tied up in this issue, made by Boneyard Brewing and Cloudburst Brewery. How are we liking this Indian Pale Lager? I'm 
surprisingly liking it a lot more than I thought I would. It is, I'm enjoying drinking it. It is great hot weather beer. I would definitely drink more of these. It's still not fully in the flavor profile town that I would want to live in, sure. but I am enjoying it. I'd give, I'm give. i going to give it a good four. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm right there with you. I wanted to maybe hate this a little bit more, but yeah. it's, it's real solid. It's real good, and it's nice on a nice warm day. It's got that crisp lager feeling, and it's got the hops in there. So if you like hops and you like a little bit of lager... This is your this is your baby right here. It'd be a good go-to beer. Yeah, it, it is. They did a very fine job with it. I am enjoying it. I have just through the show. I've just been like, oh, hello, beer. I've just been sipping away at it and just happily to do so. And do you know what else I would like to pour myself a big old mug of? What's that? A kid's perspective, because that's where Rick talks to his daughter about the issue that we just covered. So, Rick and Carrie, please take it away. Hello, Carrie. Hello, Daddy. How are you today? Good, and you? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Are you excited about what we get to talk about today? Uh-huh. Why would you possibly be excited? Because we finally have Louise Simonson and June Brigman back. I know, this is a really good issue, isn't it? Like, compared to the other ones so far? <laughs> well, the other ones we had recently? Yep, yep, this is true. What are the big things that happen. What do what does Louise Simonson do with the characters? They switch powers a lot. Then they switch they go back to their original powers. What about like what happens to Alex and the parents? Okay, so it turns out that Alex really wasn't a chameleon? He was just He was a pseudoplasm chameleon. It's just that that wasn't him. That was somebody else pretending to be him, right? Mhm. And then, turns out, that was the same with their parents. Eventually, they made it into Julie, too. Yep. Well, they were trying to. They were trying to, right? Yeah. And so they fixed all that, and they switched back their powers, and she kind of reset everything, right? Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Did you like how the reset happened? Yeah. Did you understand the rest of the story? Yeah. Is there any part of the story that you didn't get? How do you pronounce that one word again? Pseudoplasm? Yeah. Is that actually something real? It's real in the comic books. Okay, then it's surreal? No, it's not real. It's it's comic book science. Okay, so you just put together a bunch of random letters and call it good. <laughs> well, plasm is something, and pseudo means fake plasm. Fake. So it's fake plasm. <laughs> okay. There are a couple of words that, that, are, that mean something that are put together for a comic book science reason. How's that sound? Okay. <laughs> so it's right, except it's with words. Yeah. What was your favorite part of this book? I liked it how they like started showing everybody with different powers because we never really saw Alex with the rainbow power. Mm-hmm. Never saw Julie with the energizer power. Yeah, that's true. So you liked how they all kind of kind of got a little bit of a taste of the other powers, right? Yeah. That was kind of cool, huh? Uh-huh. And I started to realize something. What? With Katie, when her suit was still yellow, there was a yellow strip on the rainbow. Mm -hmm. With Julie, there was a pink strip on the rainbow, and then with Alex, he was in his blue suit, mm -hmm. so it was there was a blue strip. Interesting, interesting. Looks like June Brigman did something kind of cool there, right? Yeah, except there's not really white. That'd be a little weird. <laughs> I mean, what part of the rainbow is really not col colorful? Oh, wait, maybe the part that's covered by a cloud? Maybe. What did you think about the characters themselves? Did you feel like the characters were back to their own? 
old selves again? Well, it started to... F- it's kind of like that. They all, they all kind of felt like they were back in their right way? Yeah. Is this like the last, last issue? <sighs> That's a very complex question. It's the last issue of this Power Pack run. Eventually, we'll get to issue 63, which is something that happened a few years ago. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But this is the end of the original run. Now, there's other things that happen to the characters that we're going to get to. And, yeah, we're still going to do this show. We've got more things to cover. Okay, that's pretty good. We have, There's another miniseries that's coming up as well. So, uh, Is it the one that you had me read? No, it's another one. But oh. then we do have the most recent miniseries, too. But this is, the, this is pretty much the end of the original run for all intents and purposes. We still have a couple more stories in this book to read, which we'll read in, in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to talk about about this issue? No, I don't think so. Overall, have you enjoyed this series? Yes, I have. Well, good. We'll have more things that you can read and we can talk about, okay? Okay. All right, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. I love you. Love you, too. Ah, Carrie, I knew you'd come back around thinking Power Pack's worth reading again. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Shout out time. We love to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. And this is for episode 80, issue 62. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Issue 62, lo, there shall be an ending. And what an ending it was. Charles Gears. Cindy Heineken. Damien Drut Whittier, who said, Surely you can extend your run by doing more interviews with Wheezy, June, John, and Judy. You can keep going for years. And yes, we could, Damien. And stop calling me Shirley. (laughs) Airplane reference. Nice. Thanks. (laughs) Ed 209. Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan. Jeremy Da, who says... One of the best podcasts for comic readers. It's pretty cool to hear when they started to the episodes for the day. Don't let the FF cosplay of this last arc fool you. This title was a delight to comic pros yesterday and today. Jim Roberts. Kyle Sinelli, who said, and I'll be honest, 63 was not all that good either, in my opinion. We're not up to 63 yet. We'll get there. Limax7, who says, This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Max Reads Comics. Nicholas Prom and Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio. Tim Bryce, the podcrasher, and his podcast, The Outcasters, who said, Random Banter Time, a.k.a. How has Jeff injured himself this time? Jeff, Jeff, why are you bleeding from the nose right now? What happened? It's actually the forehead. I did kind of scrape it while I was doing some stuff, so I didn't talk about it because I didn't want to prove for uh, Tim Wright. And yet you just did. Read the words. <laughs> Waffles from Waffles and Mario Talk About Things. The worst comic podcast ever with Colin Stapleton. And... We need to thank our Patreon supporters in the most awkward and strange way possible. And so this is it. Adorably, astonishing, awkwardly awesome, and amazing alternate Andrew Burns. 
Chummy, cheerfully cheeky, and charitably charming, checkered Char Logan. Champingly, chatty, challenging, cheesy, and chuckling, changing Charles Gears. Doubly daringly destructive and devastatingly delightful and dirty Damien Witter. Dynamically dangerous, dreamily devious, and deceptively dainty Doug Jones. Elongated, effervescent, exciting, energetic, and entertaining erroneous Edward Verrocci. Jeering, jesting, joking, jovial, and judiciously jumping Jeff Bollier. Just jealous Jeremy Daw. Musically magical, muskly, mighty, and meticulously mundane Matthew Birdsey. Mythical musing, mystical minute, and magnificent monologuing Matthew Lazarowitz. Rudely rhyming, ridiculously rustic, and reverse running Rustin Fritcher. Superiorly steely, salty, and stunningly smiling steely Sailor Bear Zodar. Shrill, shadowy, shy, sad, and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews. Stupendously, satorially strange, and standing stirringly steady Stephen Gray. Tenuous, tyrannically terrifying, and trippingly typically tame Tim Price. Tenacious, tough, technically terrific, and talently triumphant Todd Enoch. Woefully whimsical, wondrously weird, and wonderfully wacky wind. Whew. Be sure to check out our other shows that we're on, our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agents episodes of Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, and <laughs> my monthly Monday movie muckabout show on the Longbox Crusade Network. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recording in front of a live studio audience of one giant blob of silly putty in Portland, Oregon. If you you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel is at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes, costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is There It Is. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Editor, Fabian Nicesia. 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 Editor, Fabian Nicesia. 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 Editor, Fabian Nicesia. Nope. Nicesia. The most interrupted podcast ever. Whoosh. Well, since we've been neck deep in Star Wars mo- Whoosh. But where are the kids now, you might ask? Well, since we've been neck deep in Star Wars movie tropes, I'm going to tell you that the (laughs) (laughs) 
an apt metaphor for the life of a child yearning to grow, but confronted with the ennu of nothingness. It's ennui. But confronted with the ennui. 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 Whoosh. Green logger. <laughs> Green langer. Green langer. HG. Whoosh. I'm still just thrilled by the fact you actually had a blob of silly putty in your hand. I was like, oh, pseudoplasm. Silly putty. Look at all that. Well, what do you know? It is a fist-sized ball. Would you like one? Oh, wow. I don't know what you got all those for, but you must have been drunk Amazoning. I like silly putty. And so this is like about six or seven of those things. Every now and again, I'll I'll just add one. And I'll be sitting there in a meeting or something and just like, (laughs) it's my stress ball what do you want from me it's a great stress ball it's funny 